3. We're going to read verses 16 through, through uh, 21. Part of this is very familiar, especially the first verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him, that is, through his Son. He who believes in him, she, she, anybody who believes in him, is not judged, is not condemned. He who does not believe, interesting, has been judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the root of it. That light has come into the world, namely the source of it, Jesus, the Son of God. And men love darkness rather than the light. That's because their deeds were evil. For anyone who does evil hates the light. This is a mouthful. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, in your effort to draw friends, relatives, or acquaintances of work, draw them to Christ, have heard somebody say, or maybe you have said it, John, Jane Doe, you know you're a wonderful person. You really are. I don't know many people who are as good as you are. All you need is Christ. Cancel. That's wrong. You're giving away the farm. You, uh, you'll see why in this message. What we're about to see in this message is that trust in Jesus is the litmus test, is the touchstone of a person's spiritual and moral Altimeter. Disbelief in him reveals nothing so much as the core of your very soul. Who says? John the Apostle, right here. Powerful stuff. Inspired by the Spirit of God. The Apostle makes it very clear that what I just said is true. In this passage, he exposes the root cause of unbelief and why it can never be unbelief, why it can never be and never will be excused. But first, the backstory. So familiar, John three sixteen. I want us to kind of unpack it a little. 
John has a way of saying things in a tight way. When you unpack it, there's more there than you think. He starts out and he says in verse 16, God so loved the world. Let's take that sentence. God loved the world. Now, right there we can get it wrong. That's one of the that's one of the words in the Bible that we stumble over all the time. We talk about God loving, God loving this, God loving that. And we get all pity patter. What it means, it's not talking about confection. Oh, I just love you so much. It's talking about the benevolence of God. It's talking about his behavior, not his feelings. God deeply cares about his fallen creatures who by sin and rebellion are estranged from their creator. Secondly, is and he does not wish, the scripture says, that any should perish. God's not in heaven saying, gee, I want to get rid of them. And then it says, God so loved the world. The world defines the scope of his benevolence, very important in this passage. His benevolence toward all of his fallen creatures. It encompasses not just the Jews. That's what they thought when this was written. But the world encompasses the Gentile world as well, the whole human race. And let's never, sometimes we have trouble remembering that. God cared for the red, the yellow, the black, the white, male and female, rich and poor, rich and poor. How far did his love go in his redemptive outreach? It's amazing. He voluntarily surrendered his only begotten son. His son, unlike any other, not in any biological sense, but his son in terms of essence. Sometimes you'll hear it said about a son or daughter. We say about our little grandson down in Roseburg, the oldest is Aiden. We say he is the spitting image of his dad, and we don't mean looks. The two, oh, that's Alex. He'll do this or say that, and we'll say, oh, faith, that's Alex all over again. Well, God's son is in, he is the essence. It's the Trinity, the essence of the Father. But he's also the very moral image, exactly, of the heavenly Father. When God gave his son, it was in agreement with the whole Trinity. I heard an atheist, I forget, um, I think it was Michael Hitchens. He's now dead. You'd see him sometime a talking head on TV. And he'd drone on about his terrible, like God jerked up his son and sent him to earth and says, go and die. Wasn't well. The son was in complete agreement with the father to come and to die in our place. God so loved the world that he sent his dear son. 
his only begotten son, his unique son, a son in the sense that there was no other, to this planet in order that he might make atonement for my sins and your sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, oh, what was the stipulation for inheriting eternal life and not perish? What was the stipulation that we believe or trust in him? Now, if anybody is here on this Labor Day weekend who does not know Jesus, you've never trusted in him, I'm here to tell you in behalf of the God of heaven that he does not want you to perish. He cares for you. His benevolence toward you is beyond any understanding. And that's why there's such a price to pay when we reject it. He wants you not to die, not to perish. He wants you to have eternal life. So in his grace and mercy... He set up one stipulation, and there's no bypass. There's no way around it. Whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. If I'm a father and I gave up my own son for you, you better believe I expect you to respect that son. There is no way in heaven or earth that you're ever going to make it into the presence of God. No way, no way. If you turn down his son, you reject him and you do not trust in him. If you, first thing I want you to remember is God so loved you, so loved all of us, that he sent his son to die to make an atonement for your sins, to be a just God. He can't just say, that's okay. You're forgiven. There's got to be a just payment for it. And his son came to make that payment, to die in your place. And he said, all I ask of you in my grace and mercy is that you receive the free gift. If you do not receive it, you're done for. There is no other way. There is no bypass, none, whatever. Don't even think it. No other bypass. There's no other Jesus except the one who is the Father's only begotten Son. Only begotten means unique. He's a Son like no other. You've got to believe in His name. And you know what it is to believe in His name? Everything that He's revealed Himself to be. That's the one. Father says, put your trust in Him. Believe in Him. Now, let's go on. In verse 17... He explains something that the Jews in this world needs to understand. The Jews in that day and in this day, and in fact most people in this day, they uh, don't get it. They thought that when the Messiah came in the world and if Jesus was the Messiah, which they didn't believe, but if he was, he came into the world to bring them into glory, the Jewish people, and to send the Gentiles to hell. That's what they thought. They didn't realize that there were two comings. 
the first coming and the second which was for judgment. They didn't realize that Jesus came into the world the first time that blew past them. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world, and that included the Gentiles as well as the Jews. They didn't realize they were lost too. They didn't get it. So God did not send his son into the world this time is the idea to judge the world. He didn't come for judgment. But he came into the world that the world might be saved through him. And that included the whole Gentile world. Verse 18. So here's the deal. He who believes in him, is that you? He who believes in him is exempt from judgment or condemnation. Now you may be somewhat of a mess. You're still in process. But if you've trusted in Jesus, sincere and earnest in that trust, if you're the real deal in that faith, you're not going to be judged. What I mean is you're not going to be judged in the sense of condemned. That's not going to happen. You're free. You're exonerated. You're justified. It's not because you are good or meritorious in any way. But your sins are forgiven. They are pardoned. They're washed away under the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he came for. He came in order that he might wash away the guilt of all who trust in him. I hope that's you. But if it's not, You're sitting there, and listen to what the text says. He who believes in him, verse 18, is not judged. But he, she, who does not believe or trust in him. This is interesting. He doesn't say will be judged. He says has been judged already. We'll see why. Been judged already. Already. It means if you do not know Christ, if you have not received Christ, there's a condemned son across your chest. You're not waiting on a verdict if you're one of those. You're not waiting for the Lord to come if you even believe the Lord's going to come. You're not waiting for him to come and all the holy angels, the heavens to burst open. And there he is. And then you're waiting to find out what the verdict is going to be. The verdict is already in. You're condemned. You've condemned yourself because you would not believe, would not trust in the only begotten Son of God. And what makes it worse, what makes it more reprehensible and more worthy of condemnation is just this. Do you realize who you're rejecting? Do you realize who you're spurning as you charge through this life doing your thing, going your way day after day, receiving all of God's blessings, receiving the sunshine and receiving the rain and receiving the, the fruits and all the benefits of the earth? Do you realize who you're rejecting? It's creator. What John said in the first chapter, nothing is made without him behind it the only begotten Son of God. 
you have refused to believe in his great name. And what is his great name? It's everything that he's revealed himself to be. Do you remember my prayer? Let's go back over it when I started this message. He is our sovereign creator, our gracious redeemer, our faithful protector, our provider. Everything you're going to eat today, he's responsible for. Who is he? The son like the father, like he is omnipotent omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere, and yet he's transcendent. We can't even imagine how far he is above us. He is inscrutable, incomprehensible, and his majesty and glory. He came with all that in disguise. He put it off in heaven before he came. He appeared little among men. He had no glory that we should desire him. But that's not who he is, really. That's who he is. He forgives our iniquities, our transgressions, and our sins because he laid down his life to make an atonement for you, brother, for you, sister. That's what you do when you reject him. I don't need him. I don't believe that crap. Well, you go right away. You're already condemned. God didn't condemn you. You condemned yourself. You stand condemned right this minute. Sentence has just got to be, but that's all will happen in the end. Sentence will be passed. My people, you go this away to my right hand, and you, workers of iniquity, you go that away. Marching straight into eternal darkness where there'll be suffering and a clenching of teeth I can't imagine. That's where you stand this minute. But it's so easy to change if you surrender to Jesus Christ. Well, we continue here at the end of verse 18. You're judged already because you've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And what's the judgment? What's the root of it? Well, let's read verse 19. This is the root of the judgment, as I paraphrase. That light has come into the world. Light, what are we talking about? Let me go back. They don't have this up there. Let me just read it. First John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, you'll see that he is the one described as the Word. All things came into being through him. You remember I told you that? And apart from him, this is the one you're rejecting. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was what? The light of men. He came into the world. And he left behind this revelation. Revelation within you. You go out there, we've got that telescope, that, what is it, James, whatever, telescope. It's going out there billions and billions of miles. Wow, do you see that? 
Do you see that? He is the one through whom all of this came to pass. And you're saying, nope. Nope. I don't want him. Or I don't need him. Or I don't believe that garbage. There's hell to pay for that. Do you think for one minute the Father in heaven is going to send his son into the world and allow his son to be humiliated, to be trashed like that? Not only then, but you stand in the same way as those who crucified him because you're crucifying him every minute you reject him. You're saying they were right or you're saying it doesn't matter. I don't care. Do you see how serious this is? How utterly and eternally serious this is. Well, he goes on and he explains in verse 19. Now this is the judgment. You might be saying, I don't know what you're saying, probably not most of you because you've trusted in him. But somebody might be saying, I don't even see what the problem is. I'm a good person. I know people have said that. My own brother did before he came to Christ right at the end. I'm a good person. And of all of these ridiculous people sitting out here, if God's going to allow them to, because you're thinking merit, allow them to enter into heaven, hey, I got to make the cut or he's not a just God. So I'll take my chances. Let me correct that picture. Let the scripture correct that picture. This is the judgment that light in the person of Jesus Christ, the ultimate source of all light, moral light in particular. He came into this world and men, which was true, that's why he went to the cross. Men loved the darkness. He's talking about moral darkness rather than light. Why did they love darkness more than light? He's saying you if you don't know him. That's the fundamental problem in your life. You may wear all kinds of veneers. You may impress your neighbors. You may impress your brothers and sisters, your co-workers. Oh, they're just wonderful people. I don't think I ever met a nicer, more gentle person. But God says, just a minute now. Just a minute now. Let's get the picture in focus. That man, that woman, that person who thinks they're an advocate of light and all that is good. Let me tell you the true story of God who can see to the bottom, the basement of your being. Let me tell you, including that preacher up there. Let me tell you about all those people. Every one of them has a black heart. Every single one of them. Natively, in their birthday suit, when they came into this world, though it wasn't fully blossomed, 
They frankly love the side of darkness. More, we're seeing that in our country, aren't we? More than light. They're averse to light, the moral light of Jesus Christ. You ever ask, what problem do people have with Jesus? Why wouldn't they receive him? What problem? What could possibly be the problem with Jesus? Have you read about him? How could you possibly reject him? Turn your back on him. There's something about Jesus that aggravates you, even though you may not have processed it like that. He's light, and inside you is darkness, and darkness hates light. You gravitate to the world, the things of the world, the values of the world. You don't gravitate to Jesus. That, I don't care who you are, where they are, if there's a man or woman on this planet, even those who are devotees of other religions, Romans 1, 18 tells us all about that. Everyone, one of them is a follower of a false religion because they hate light. There's something about Jesus that annoys them, that aggravates them. I didn't make that up. It's right here. Verse 19, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's the way they gravitate. That's what draws them. For everyone, verse 20, who does evil, and if you do not know God, if you have not been born again by the Spirit of God, if you have not been regenerated, by the Spirit of God, upon believing in Him. That's not happened. Well, I didn't make it up. Boy, the problem is your deeds before God. They're evil. Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't believe that. I, I mean, that's a bunch of garbage. You don't realize, man... You, you have no idea the good deeds that I do. I mean, my company, we give hundreds of thousands of dollars to help the poor. And then you go out there and the people you give it to, they get a big six-foot sign with your check on it. And you get to get up in front of the press and say, ain't I good? Ain't I good? I am such a good person. That's why you do it. You never did it for the glory of God. You never did. You've never loved God one minute in your entire life. You've never embraced his son in truth for one second. You've trampled in his blood. You've walked over the shadow of the cross and continue to do it in your day and in your time. Continue to be of that spirit. You do things that the world calls good and they go raw, raw, raw. But God looks at him and says, you're not doing that for me. No, that's selfish. That's narcissistic, self-serving. That's not good. Well, you don't realize I dived in one time and risked my life to save a little girl from drowning. Oh, that's wonderful. I say that's wonderful. Wonderful. 
But God says, you didn't do that for me. You see, nobody is going into the presence of God who does not know God and love God. And only the Spirit of God can put that in you. No, your deeds are evil. You gravitate to that side of the fence. And God, not political correctness, God defines what evil is. Guys, can we put up there, I read it so many times, Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, this is God speaking. Now, you all realize he's the referee, don't you? He's the umpire in this thing called life. And God says, not the Oregonian. I guess they're still publishing that. But God says, not your local TV channel, when they send some reporters out to show all the good things that you've done. God said, whoa, whoa, just a minute. I'm the umpire here. There is none righteous. Oh, you want to be emphatic? No, not even one. There is none who understands. They don't get it. He's talking about people natively, except for the grace of God, except for the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Nobody on this planet not even the most religious person that you've ever seen. There's none who gets it. There's none who seeks for God. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you run into people who say they're seeking the truth? They are liars. They are liars. God has said, if you seek me, I will let you find me. Deuteronomy 4.24 not the only place that's stated. If you were seeking, really seeking for the truth, if you were really seeking God, really wanting the truth, if you really were, if you really loved the truth, you would have found it. You don't. That's a lie. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. That's the native disposition of everybody in the human race. That's the way I was born. That's the way you're born until Christ found us, until the Spirit of God changed our hearts. That's the way we were. All right, next verse. All all have turned aside. Together, the whole human race, they've become useless. Oh, we've got all these things that by political correctness, in other means, we define as good. We pat ourselves on the back. Ain't I good? There is none who does good, not in God's sight, not a person here or not a person, you know, not even Aunt Susie. Not even one. No, if you don't know Christ, I don't mean to insult you. I don't mean to slap you up against the face, but I am here to tell you the truth, not my truth, but the only truth, God's truth. And this is what God says. He's the umpire. He's the referee in this business called life. And God says, if you're not on the side of light, which is on the side of Jesus Christ, you're on the side of darkness. And you're on the side of darkness because you prefer it. There's your deeds. And your deeds reflect where your heart is. And God is the measure of good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. He's the standard. So we go on. We go on in this text to verse 
20. For everyone who does evil hates the light. If you're a servant of evil, you are a servant of evil. In God's terms, yes, you. You think of yourself as a good person. You're not a good person. Not in terms of the referee. <clears throat> Takes me back to the days in high school when I played basketball. <clears throat> I hated referees. I still today hate basketball referees. Basketball wasn't my game, but I was good at it at that level. I had very quick hands. Even for my age, they're pretty quick. They're pretty quick. So here comes a guy who was my major opponent on the Mount Hope team. And he came down the floor with a basketball and I met him at the half. I met him halfway up the court. And I was up close. And I reached under him and just scooped the ball and went down the floor. Put it in, lay, lay up. Didn't touch him, didn't breathe on a hair. And back there was a referee. His name was Gene, Gene Beaver. <laughs> Reaching in. I didn't control myself very well. I said, I don't care if I reached in. I didn't touch him. And within five minutes, I had four fouls doing the same thing. Just stealing the ball. I felt like I couldn't do anything. It didn't matter what I thought. I thought I was really good. They thought I was a foul monster. <laughs> and anybody that's ever played a game with me realize I'm very gentle. <laughs> well, that's what, it didn't matter. My verdict was irrelevant. Your verdict is irrelevant. This is what God says. So, everyone who does evil hates the light. That's the fundamental problem in your soul. And therefore, you don't come to the light. That's your problem. Give any excuse. All those church people, those kind of people, or invent any other excuse that you want. The reason you don't come to the light, don't come to Christ, is because you're afraid of your sins being exposed. My bathroom's up on the second floor of our home. Yours may be too. When I go in the bathroom at night, we don't have, oh, it's a pain to get down the blinds. So I go in there and I turn the lights off lest my evil body be exposed. <laughs> you know, uh, that's the way we do it. You've got a consciousness messed up. But verse 21, he who practices the truth, they're not afraid to come to the light. They're glad to come into the light of Christ, the light of God, that their deeds may be manifested by God as having been wrought in God, they glorify him. The Spirit of God has changed us. It's changed you. It's changed me. We're not perfect, but we are born again. Really changed. Not all of our deeds are light, but that's the general pattern. And we're not afraid for them to be exposed to glorify God. But if you don't know Him, here's the problem. You can make up your own narrative. People do all the time. But I'm telling you, that narrative is not going to fly before God. I say again, he's the umpire. And your fund the fundamental issue between you and knowing Christ is that you have a moral preference for darkness. 
you just lean that way. And that way is going to send you to hell. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will trust in him, will surrender to him, shall not perish as you and I deserve, but will have everlasting life. So to those of us who are believers, be careful how you explain the gospel. Don't go around telling people that they are good. All they need is Jesus. If they were good, they wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, there's none good except God, and there's none good except him. And to the rest of us, we're a dirty, rotten mess, and we need to come to terms with that. We are natively sinners. We natively prefer darkness to light. That's why we're here, why this church is here, to declare that message which nobody wants to hear. But it is the truth, and ultimately the truth will prevail. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. It's not our word, our Heavenly Father. We've spoken it boldly. We've spoken the truth truthfully. And we pray your spirit would take it and use it, whether people here or people who may be tuning in online. We pray that at the end of the day, you may be magnified, your son glorified, your word exalted. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.